Music. It's a common denominator, isn't it? It's a party. Let's put on some music. Why don't you come over? I'll open a bottle of wine. Put on some music. Road trip, man. I got my music. Young love. I made you a mixtape of our favorite music. No, man. I'm kind of bummed out. Just going to stay home. Pour a drink. Put on some music. The genres depend on the mood, the sentiment, and sometimes the goal. But somebody's got to write it perform it and gift it to your world so it can do whatever it needs to do to get you through whatever you need it to get you through to. And sometimes, sometimes there's a little bit of this whiskey to help. Hi, I'm Dino Tripodis and welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast, as you know by now, not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. And tonight, our guest bottle after 11 installments, we're finally getting into some Scotch whiskey, the McAllen's 12, a fine single malt, which we'll share a little background on later in the podcast. I chose it and a little dissertation about music tonight because my guest this evening is singer, songwriter, and single malt Scotch enthusiast, Eric Nesda, welcome. Hey, welcome. Dino, it's great to be here. Eric Nesda, with a G. With a G, I know. The it's, G is silent. The G is silent. Then why have it? That always I've always wondered about that. Well, <laughs> why yeah. have it? Well, you know, my dad, um, it's a Slovenian name, meaning nest. And my dad grew up uh, near uh, an Indian reservation in mm-hmm. near Buffalo. And they always pronounced the G. They pronounced it Gnezda. Gnezda. And he moved to Ohio, and people in Ohio just dropped the G. And so he got tired of correcting them, and so he just went with Nesda. Now, not to be confusing, but I do have relatives in uh, uh, Cleveland who pronounce the G. Who pronounce the G. So I go either way, Nesda or Gnezda. Well, I've always known it as Nesda. Right. When I was in my... uh... My youth, this is why I think some people should should just, you know, drop the letter if it's not necessary. <laughs> I was uh, interviewing for a job, and the, the supervisor, I swear to God, on the nameplate when I walked in was Phallic, P-H-A-L-L-I-C-K. <laughs> and I sat down, and he said, uh, thank you, Mr. Tripodis, for coming in. I said, it's Tripodis, but thank you, Mr. Phallic. He said, it's, it's Halleck. The, oh. P, the, P, the, the P is silent, to which wow. I responded, as well it should be. Right. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, I never got to work for Discover Card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, short interview after that. But um, you, are uh, Columbus born and raised? Well, Worthington, yes. Thomas Central, Worthington High School. Thomas here Worthington in Col- High School. Here yes. in Columbus, Ohio. And you are, uh, well, I mean, you're so many things, but I know you primarily as singer-songwriter Eric Nesda. Right. Is that is that the bread and butter? Is that the... That's, that's the bread and butter, along with my, my public speaking I do, and it's uh, a very rewarding thing to do. I'm also going to ask you about, you have an MFA in creative writing. I do. I'm going to come back to that a Great. little bit later on, because Great. I want to know what that's all about. But we, fir- we first met when we were both doing comedy. That's right. Um, and because I, uh, I took a departure 
um, in my, you know, quote, serious songwriting to, to about eight years of comedy. And uh, that's where we first crossed paths. And it's amazing. We're still living and still in the business. Do you know, isn't that yeah, amazing? It is I, on, on different, on different, uh, not, not in comedy so much anymore. Right. I mean, though, comedy's still in my blood and I still perform it. I still love to do it. I still write it. Um, but uh, w- why didn't you stick with it? Well, it's part of the greater whole. It's like you. I mean, I think we have this in common. Comedy is part of the larger mosaic that I do. It's nice to be able to draw from that when you need it. You use it all the time on the air and in yeah. other things and when you host. And, and you know, as a, as a songwriter and as a speaker, uh, it's nice to have those tools in your toolbox. Because I always uh-huh. thought when I was doing stand-up that anybody that had a that, that had music in their act had an advantage. So did you use the music in your stand-up? Uh, it's an advantage and a disadvantage because I'll tell you what, I always admired guys like you who could get up there with nothing but a microphone in front of them and make people laugh. And, you know, as a musician, okay, I'd sing a funny song and I'd get a laugh and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you always kind of wonder, you know, is it, is it as pure as it really is? It really funny, see, or I, is it just the music thing? And, yeah. and there's, I've come across a lot of people like, oh, that's not that's not real stand up. I tend to disagree. I say if you're up there and you're making people laugh, no matter how you're making people laugh, if you're doing the job and getting it done, yeah, then it's then it's then you're 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 funny. There's all kinds of funny. I mean, if you look Absolutely. through the history of comedy, there's a lot of people who have brought us joy, laughter, and humor through a variety of different ways of doing it, whether it was in song, dance, monology, whatever the case might be. So those guys say, oh, man, that's not pure stand-up. Okay, yeah, it's not pure stand-up, but he is up there and he's performing and doing comedy. Because there were times in in my act where I used music as well. Sure. Uh, Just Still do. Still do from time to time. I want to kind of bookend this thing a little bit because – uh, you started something here in Columbus, Ohio, that's kind of taken off and is doing really well. Songs from the center. Explain that and tell us that, a little bit about that. Well, songs at the center songs is songs at the center. Yeah, songs at the center uh, is a half-hour music show in which we feature singer-songwriters, three to four singer-songwriters in every half-hour episode. Um, and a year ago, we were on one public television station, and that was WOSU here in Columbus. And through the um, foresight of Stacia Hentz, who's the program director at WOSU, she got us an invitation to um, the American Public Television Fall Marketplace a year ago, um, which is, you know, the annual conference of the programmers. And lo and behold, a year later, we're on 148 stations across the country. Wow. Um, and what we're really, I'm, I'm particularly proud of, of a few things. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. One is, one of the things I'm proud of is that, um, we're bringing more awareness and therefore value to what singer songwriters do, um, providing opportunities for singer songwriters. Uh, I've had the, I've had the luxury, you know, over the last 30 years, um, of doing convention work and stuff like that. I got to sing originals. I'd write songs and I got to do, you know, my own music through these things. But a lot of my friends, you know, they're great songwriters, but they're playing clubs and stuff. And if they're doing original, they got to kind of sneak it in there. Right. Um, So that's one thing I'm particularly proud of. The other thing is that um, John Oates uh, from Hall & Oates, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, is one of our guests um, one, one week. 
And um, he's quoted as saying that Songs at the Center is, I'm trying to remember his exact words, Songs at the Center is a most effective national ambassador to the Columbus music and art scene. So I feel like, you know, we're really helping Columbus show who we are artistically. Um, And that's that's, uh, uh, very gratifying for us. And are these done in front of a live audience? Yeah, live audience on stage. It's shot at the, uh, primarily, we've done various venues, but our home base is the McConnell Arts Center in Worthington. And it seats about 200 people, and then we have about 40 seats on the stage, and they actually sit around nice. the songwriters. We, we take it on the road now and then, but our, our, our home is McConnell Arts Center. And... Um, to finish my thought, the thing, thing that I'm really proud of is that we've, I think we've had 80, 81 songwriters showcased in three seasons. Now, these are all Ohio songwriters, Columbus songwriters? 56 of them. From are, Columbus. Are from the Columbus area. Wow. About a, 60 of them are from Ohio. That's a lot of, that's a lot of songs and a lot of songwriters. And it's a lot of talent here. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And uh, we're on season three now, and we're, we're uh, we'll we'll be syndicating season three nationally in April. So, the rest of the country's taking notice of what we have here in Columbus in terms of talent. That's awesome. And at our age, Dino, you know, it's <laughs> no, like we mean at our age. Well, at, at, well, <laughs> at our age, at our age. I mean, to be serious for a moment, you know, we've had lots of fun on stage, you know, doing what we do. Right. But you get to a point where. While you want to continue to do that and there's gratification in that, it also feels good to give other people an opportunity that you've had along the way. Right. And that's what this show's allowing us to do. When did you decide that you were going to be a songwriter? You know, Dino, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but it, it really chose me. Um, when was I, the first song? When did you write your first song? How old were you? I was 16. Um, was I played, it good? Uh, oh, it was terrible. Okay. Are you kidding? It was awful. <laughs> what was it about? I, and I still write awful songs. I just don't, I never perform those. Was it? It, was, it was about breaking up with my girlfriend. Okay, I was going to say, of did course. it have something to do with a girl? Of course. Uh, of course it did. Of course. Did you play it for uh, Oh, no. no. No? I didn't have a chance. No, no. You didn't, you didn't play the song to get the girl back? No, because I was kind of dumping her. It was, it, was a, it was a situation where I realized, nah, this isn't, this really isn't. What was the name of the song? I honest to God don't remember. I I, bet you do. (laughs) I don't. I don't. And and if I did, I would tell you. But I I do you remember any of the lyrics? Um, the it it was a it was it was so stupid. It it was about it was about you know wanting to to be free, and I I think there was a bird in it or something like that. It was ridiculously adolescent, (laughs) and you know it's like that poster. I don't know, like you remember Uh. back in college. You'd walk into a girl, you'd be interested in the girl, you uh-huh. know, and you'd walk in there and there'd be a poster that said, you know, if you love something, set it free. If it comes right. back, it's yours. If it does, if it, it doesn't, never, it never, never was. And that told me she had a boyfriend at home and I had no chance. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So it was, it was a song kind of along. But it came, know, those, it came from your heart at the time. It came, time. From, it came from your 16 year old heart yep. at the time. And when you're writing music and songs, I mean, at all, does it all come from the heart? I mean, where's your, what are the sources of inspiration as a singer-songwriter? Well, I, I look at it, uh, the sources of inspiration can be anything. But, um, you know, it's like, it's like your humor and your jokes, you know. Gee, they can come from anything, mostly experience, though. I find that my heart, I call my heart the engine. 
it's you know it it's it 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 really fuels the passion um and but that's not enough to write you know so i've got this passion i got this feeling this observation the mind then kicks in and i look at the mind as the rudder the the mind does the hard work it takes the emotion and the feeling and it directs it and creates the images and the form and all that that it needs to be in order to connect with other people what was the first song that you wrote then that you said you you sat back and you went okay that's the real deal that I, i'm legitimate this is this is a real song this is i can do this <laughs> i'm still waiting for that one but <laughs> but no the first that's not song, true because i've heard some great music oh, come from you bless over your years. heart thank you um the first song the first original song i sang uh was called rescue me and there were 412 versions of it because i kept revising and working on it but the i i i was I, i've been singing in public since i was six years old but the first time I ever sang an original song of mine was in the um, student coffee house in college. In college. And for two days prior to that, I was so nervous I couldn't eat. I, and I remember this vividly. The only thing I ate for two days was coffee yogurt. And then coffee I, flavored yogurt? Coffee flavored yogurt, yeah. That's all I could get down. I was so nervous. And then I did it and... You know, I don't know. Did you say uh, uh, this is an original song I just wrote? And I might have, and Rescue then I Me. learned. Then I learned if you don't tell them you wrote it, then they don't know. You know, and right. if it's and if it's bad, they don't know. And but if it's good, they don't. Yeah, know. if it's good, you know that's and then it's always an amazing thing to them. They go, "Oh, you wrote that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, wow, you know." But what's important is the so- <laughs> that the song, you know does its job that it makes people laugh or makes people think or makes people feel or motivates them or something gets them through the moment and you've written all types of songs to do that yeah i've written you know everything um from really funny songs to um inspirational songs and were your parents uh, musically inclined my dad played the clarinet you know in college and my mom played the accordion but never around the house no Nope. They didn't, they didn't break out the clarinet and the accordion during the holidays and, no. and well, do some Slovenian uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> folk my, songs. And, and my start. family, my, and my mom. My mom's side is Sicilian. Okay. So there was a lot of accordion music. A lot music of accordion going music going on there, A lot yeah. of polkas and all that. Um, but um, So where was the inspiration to actually get into music then? If it Was, was it from your parents? I, I, you know, I, I, I've thought about that a lot. I don't know. I went to a school here in Columbus called University School, which has since closed. It used to be on the campus of Ohio State. We had music every day and we'd sing folk songs, you know, and I think that that's really where I, I used to love to sing. I remember being three and four years old and just singing, just singing to myself. And it's kind of embarrassing. My dad would overhear me, you know, and I'd kind of, you know hush down a little bit but it's just always been something that's there it just flows through me but you play piano so was it like you the, your, your parents wanted you to take piano lessons or did you ask to take piano lessons no i played drums okay. um, all these years yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing you all kinds well, of yeah. curves tonight I, I, I talked to you earlier it's like you know i don't play guitar i play keyboard and yeah. i know, and always need to play keyboard so who, where'd the piano come from well when this again this is strange you're gonna think i'm very weird but i was working at a at a little uh, grocery store, a uh, hometown grocery store, and it called Home Market in in Worthington, Ohio. And um, I, I was as at the counter one day, 
uh, waiting for a customer to come up, and I start like you know playing the piano on the counter. I never even touched a piano, and it was kind of intriguing to me. And I went home and I started learning how to block out chords, and uh, I taught myself. It was the it was the weirdest thing. I, I still don't really play that well. I play well enough to do what I do. But it was something that I just had an immense passion for. And over that summer, I got to the point where, you know, I could start blocking out chords and, and singing songs and, and you making know, music and trying to impress girls. And, uh, I was going to say, did you ever use it to charm the ladies? Oh, Dino, you know me well enough to no, know I, I don't. never do Not that. The, it was the, always it was always for the are you, uh, edification are you, of the heart sure. and the soul. Are you a married man? Yes, I am. And did you meet your wife through music? Kind of. Kind of. Uh, Vicky and I, we just celebrated 23 years together. Congratulations. Which, and we're very happy. She's, How'd you meet? Um, well, I was doing a gig. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't say. A gig, you say. But it was it was a gig for a company's 15th uh, anniversary. Okay. And she was actually finishing up an internship at the time right. for, the, for the company, and we got seated at the same table. Uh-huh. And, you know, now 28 years later, we have two wonderful kids. And you were seated at the same table. Had you performed yet? Yes, but I I have to tell you something, Nodino. There was no music involved. I was just emceeing and telling jokes. I was doing your shit. Okay, shtick, you're doing my shit. Which stick. really works. Uh, well, well, you know, it's, uh, com- comedy has had its uh, its charms as well. <laughs> Over the years, I, I can't deny that either. <laughs> but musicians always seem to have the advantage. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a showbiz maxim that musicians want to be comedians and comedians want to be musicians. You've never heard that? Uh-uh. Well, um, I've heard that here and there. I've and never heard that, that. I think it's true. I, You know, I, I, I guess I feel enormously blessed in some ways in that, you know, I can do music, but I also can make people laugh. Yeah. And so you're a greedy bastard. You did them all. <laughs> you did it all. No. You, did, you covered all the bases. No, I tell you what. You don't know this as well as I do because you're you're better at it than me. But there is nothing more humbling than getting up there and laying your best stuff on an audience, and they sit there and you hear nothing but crickets. Ooh, I've been there. That's nasty. I've been there. It is uh, the silence, as they say, is deafening. Yes, and if if it happened too often, we wouldn't have careers. But it doesn't have to happen very often no. to stick with you a lifetime. And I always wonder <laughs> about that too, because uh, they always they always say like, if you do a joke and it killed on a Tuesday. You do the same joke on a on a Wednesday and it dies. What was different? You can blame it on the crowd, but I think it was, and I think I've actually quoted this in a, in a previous podcast. I think it was, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld that said, uh, "You, as the comedian, did something different in your tone, your delivery, uh, a beat, a moment. Something changed to alter the structure and delivery of that joke to where it didn't land like it landed." The night before, right? So he he's if I remember, I think it was him. He put, puts the responsibility back on the comedian. You can always blame it on a on a shitty crowd. You can do that. Mm-hmm. I've had to follow really really uh, dirty comedians who were up there and just that's a was, challenge. And you know they were just filthy from start to finish, and that does on some level uh, start to seep into a, a crowd's brain where that's the mindset that they're in, and then you know. You've got right. me coming up talking about my family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's well, hard to bring them back it. up. It's hard to bring them back to that, to, to a different level, a different mindset. Yeah. So I don't imagine if, if somebody's 
rocking the house, musically speaking, and, I mean, just, just tearing the roof off the place. And you know that you're coming up and your next three songs are going to be are, our ballads are yeah. going to be soft. I mean, right. is it the same thing? Are uh, they... It, it kind of is, you know, and I've experienced that when I've done showcases like, you know, for the Ohio fair managers and, and, you know, people that book talent, you know, you'll get a, it, it, it's all the luck of the draw. You'll get a band or a solo act that gets up there and just kills. All right. You just comfortably, whether you meant to or not, led me into my next question oh, as far as showcases, because you have performed regularly at uh at the bluebird right. which is renowned as being a a stage in in nashville where where people are sometimes discovered and showcased and, and music is found and artists are found and tell us a little bit about the bluebird and, and the uh the mystique behind it well the bluebird cafe was founded in 1982 as a fine dining establishment but because it was in Nashville, music started taking over, and the clientele would, um, you know, really start paying attention to the music. And then several people got record deals from playing there. Kathy Matea, Garth Brooks, um, you know, a, a load of people. And so it, 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 it achieved this mythological kind of stature, which it deserves. There's a sign. It, if you ever go to the Bluebird, um, there's there's a blue awning, and that's kind of its its logo it's trademark it's you know it it's iconic uh feature but underneath that right above the door there's a sign that's engraved that says the best songwriters in the world pass through these doors and if you're interested in songwriting go to the bluebird night after night after night and you will get a graduate level education in songwriting um, truly the best songwriters in the world are there. But you can't just walk in and say, I want to perform. No, no. Um, they do have one open mic night on Mondays. Um, you either get invited um, because of your stature as a songwriter and your record, or you uh, audition. And from what I've, uh, what, what I've heard, they take about 12 to 15% of the people who audition. Wow. And then once you play... Um, except for the, the top writers that are there, you know, it, doing the late shows, uh, it's very common for, um, them to take some notes, jot down some scores and that kind of stuff and determines whether or not you come back. So it could make or break you? Well, it can make or break that opportunity at the Bluebird. The, the Bluebird understands, in fact, they, they've said in their literature that if you don't, if you audition and you don't get to play there, it's not going to make or break you. And that's true. I mean, you know, if, as Red Skelton said, if you have talent, you know, you can be behind a brick wall and you're still going to come through. Um, but as showcases go, the Bluebird is still the premier place to be. And it's very, very humbling to. And when to you play go there. there and perform there, you do your music, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I play there about three times a year. And. Um, it's I've been playing there since 2004. That's impressive. And just, you know, within the last couple of years, I've gotten to the place where I, I'm relaxed enough on that stage where I can enjoy it. Because you're, I mean, you really are in the shadows and echoes of giants when you're playing in that room. So it's a little intimidating. It's intimidating. I mean, you know, Vince Gill at the end of the night will come in sometimes and sit down and play. Uh, you know, it, it just happens that way. And I'll tell you what, what I love about the Bluebird the most is that, um, and it, it really made a very, very good impression on me, and that is that it's about 
the song. It's not about how great of a performer you are, what your look is, you know, and that stuff. It's not the prepackaged industry stuff that we think. It's about good, solid songwriting. And boy, will you hear good, solid songwriting at the Bluebird Cafe. So as a singer-songwriter, let's take the singer out of it and just focus on the songwriter for okay. a second. All right? Let's, uh, let's, you've, you've got a song. Uh, what would you rather do? Um, get that song out there as yourself? I mean, is there... So I mean, what, uh, the what, benefits is, uh, I guess I'm talking about publishing, getting a song published yeah. and then getting a song recorded. I, I think it depends. I mean, it depends on the song, and I'm not trying to be evasive, but, you know, some songs are just real personal. Right. Um, and you kind of feel proprietary about them, and you want to, you know, they're yours. And others, you know, you feel like a good song could be sung by anybody. And it would work. Well, it can be arranged in a different way. And go to the work. one that you own, the one that you feel you have some propriety over. It's your, it's a, it's a great song, and you feel like you own it, and you feel like you should be singing it. But somebody huge in the business wants it. You're telling me you don't give that song up? You in a let... moment. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd make sure I'd make sure the eyes are dotted and the T's are crossed, yeah. and I get my share and all sure, that. Sure, of course. I mean, yeah. But, hey, take it. You know, and that that's a great compliment. I Most songwriters are really complimented by that, that, uh, you know, you write something that's not just for your own voice, but for the larger voice, for, you know, 10 other artists. I mean, that that's the mark of a great song. And isn't that the, in a, in a, in a lazy kind of way, and I don't mean lazy that it's, there's no hard work involved, but isn't that the, almost the best kind of success in that business i i, I think so I to mean, be a songwriter and have absolutely. everybody else do the recording go on the tours do all the work be on the road worry and, about their images and all you yeah. do is go to the mailbox and get the check isn't that exactly like an amazing wonderful type of success this house was built on the right. garth brooks hit that i wrote right or and if you have a family you know, you don't have to go on tour and all that. The, the, the thing about the successful songwriters, they get to tour when and where they want. You know, and, and when I first started going down to Nashville um, many years ago, that was one of the first things that somebody said to me at, uh, at Nashville Songwriters Association International was, you know, I think the people who have the best lives in Nashville are the successful writers. Because uh-huh. they're making money from the business. They're involved in the creative end of it but they don't have the pressures and the obligations of the people that are out touring. I, I would totally tend to agree. That's why I always thought because uh, that writing, not just songwriting, but, but being a, a writer, if you're a successful writer and a, a published author and a successful one, you know, hitting the New York Times bestseller list on a regular basis, sure, there's book tours and whatnot, but to me, sitting at home in your pajamas writing best-selling novels is is an amazing way to to make a living absolutely and you have an mfa in creative writing <laughs> that's right so where's my book well, that's well, what you want to well, know i want to know about that i mean you, uh, that's that's not that's not an easy accomplishment that's not no. everybody gets an mfa in creative writing no you have to have some substance as a writer in order to get that to get there uh so yeah where is your book well it, it's it's drafted um, uh-huh. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because um, back in uh, 2003, I think it was, you know, it was, it was, you know, within that period after 9-11, uh, 
when the whole world was changing. Sure. And tell me and about it. The Ugh. music business was changing, and I was doing a lot of corporate gigs, and corporations weren't spending money like they were before. And I was searching around for what what am I going to do to to change things here? And I met uh, a remarkable gentleman by the name of Stephen Cusisto, who is um, a poet and a memoirist. Also one of the most intelligent guys I've ever met. And he was a professor at Ohio State in the creative writing program. And But anyway, so he introduced me to this thing called uh, creative nonfiction in 2003. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever discovered because I could write and it didn't have to be in verses uh-huh. and it didn't have to be within three or three and a half minutes. And it was very liberating. And so Steve was really my mentor in writing a memoir um, and led me through getting my my MFA in creative writing. And um, so I wrote up a, 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 a thesis which um, needs to be revised into a book called The Safe Life. And it's about growing up here in Columbus uh, with a father who was a disabled veteran and, um, you know, all the, the, the takes on that. And what's exciting about it, I don't even think you know this, I'm glad you brought it up, is that um, what I, I, I feel like what I want to do my next step creatively is merge my music with my memoir uh-huh. and kind of as a one-person show kind of thing. And as a matter of fact, on the afternoon of... Um, January 28th at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be at um, Gramercy Books in um, Bexley for their grand opening. And I'll be reading from my memoir and singing some songs. So you will be combining the two. I will be combining the two. And um, and what will it, when you read from the memoirs, will that will that kind of be the the written intro into why you're playing this next song? Um, will they kind of go together? Yeah, they... I, I'm hoping it'll be seamless. You know, I, I don't want it to be, you know, t- like a, a, you know, a, a real obvious setup, but I'm hoping that this c- some consistent themes will emerge. Interesting. A disabled veteran, your father. Yeah. You My, said that in passing, like I was just going to let it slide. Yeah. Well, he, um, um, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was three days old and, um, had some other issues that uh, had been linked to his days in Okinawa during the war. And um, I only, as I write in my memoir, um, I, I only remember him walking without a cane once in my life. And I'm not sure it really happened. It might've been a dream, but as I got older, his, his health declined. He went from a cane to crutches to a wheelchair. And then by the time I was in high school, he was, basically bedridden, um, ultimately died of cancer. It's a very, very sad story. But yet, getting back to the humor thing, there were two things that kept him alive. And one was the love that his family, especially my mother, had for him. But the other thing was the ability to laugh. He was the funniest man I've, I've ever known. So that's where you got your sense of humor? Who knows? I mean, they always I, say, I, 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 yeah, my, they say my father was a, had a wry sense of humor, but uh, ultimately I think I got most of it from my mother. Yeah. Yeah, she, the, the sarcastic part of it, anyway. Yeah, you for, grow up in that yeah, environment, it rubs that, off. Yeah, it really does. Interesting, so laughter. 
laughter. laughter. And there was music in your house, the clarinet, the accordion, but yeah. you discovered the rest of it on your own. Well, and the Beatles were playing. I mean, I had two older, older sisters in the, you know, the British invasion. Wait, how, wait, wait, how, how old are you? Because we're, we, I thought we were the same age. Uh, I'm, I'm a little older. How than much you. older? Uh, I'll, I'll be sixty in March. Okay, yeah, you got a couple years. Yeah, on. I thought I did. I'll be fifty-eight in April. All right. So we're just, yeah. we're not. So, so yeah, you did have a couple years on me as right. far as the appreciation of the Beatles right when they landed, right. and hit. So I mean, that's when two years makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. When right. you're four oh, years exactly. old and the Beatles hit, and you're six years old and the Beatles hit, mm-hmm. world of difference. Yep. World of difference. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I. I Walked by uh, an old house we I lived in just growing up, and um, the the woman who lived there um, was standing out front, and I think I scared her to death at first. But it was one I I felt so old. I started reminiscing. I said, you know, it was in that house that I first saw the Beatles. It was in that house where I saw the Kennedy assassination. You know, and uh, and she's she was kind of I was amazed. She was she was kind of. Uh, drawn to it you know it's kind of wow that's kind of neat you know that's the closest thing i came to history but um the beatles made a huge impact on me and then all the singer songwriters jim croce jackson brown who was your biggest uh, inspiration jackson brown uh, the singer songwriters yeah 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 i saw him here in columbus when i was in college uh, at st john's oh yeah 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 i remember that concert i remember seeing jackson brown there at st john's so jackson brown just from the singer songwriter perspective of things you know just uh the tools right and what he did and how he does it so I, he was I, probably he's the guy you probably wanted to emulate as you were yeah coming up. I, I learned everything he ever wrote and you know taught myself on the piano and and jim croce i loved and i still i'm still in awe of the way that jim croce could say so much in a two minute or two and a half minute song his songs are really short yeah but man he, he it was a movie and but and he also encompassed a lot of different emotions. I mean, you talk about you, you go with time in a bottle, right? But then you've got you know, bad bad Leroy Brown, right? Which like wow, yeah. there's there's two for two different absolutely. directions, and, I just and both that of them was huge so cool. huge songs, and both of them great songs, right? But yeah, absolutely, they came from the same guy, right? Right, amazing. I, I marveled at that. I really marveled at that. All right, we're going to get it close to wrapping it up here. Like I said, I wanted to kind of bookend it. Songs at the Center has another show coming up very soon. Yeah, we're going to be taping uh, two episodes on music and healing on Saturday, uh, January 28th at 7 p.m. at the McConnell Arts Center, and it's free. Uh, We've got incredible songwriters. Uh, We have three Grammy nominees coming. Uh, Two of the writers have, between them, have written five number one hits, uh, we have uh, Megan Palmer, who's a big Columbus favorite coming, and a, a gentleman by the name of David Tolley. I don't know if you know David's story or not, but uh, I grew up with David in Worthington, masterful p- piano player. And long story short, I think it was back in about 1984 or something, he goes to out to The Tonight Show. He's living in California. He goes to The Tonight Show, I think with his sister. I, I could be wrong about that. But he goes to The Tonight Show, and somebody had canceled, and they come out and say, does anybody here play piano? Now, how, what's the, what's the, the odds, odds of that happening? And David <laughs> yeah, ends up yeah, on yeah, the Tonight Show and made several appearances wow. there. Um, <laughs> and he is just one of the most talented composers uh, you could ever dream of. And he's also a very, very humble 
uh, guy with a great story to tell about music and healing. So he's going to be one of the writers. So and that'll be the theme, music and healing. Music and healing. Okay. And uh, we are... Um, and let me ask you if, because uh, we haven't even talked about the McAllen. I know you got a, you're got you coming off a cold and you're all congested. Right. Has the 12-year-old McAllen helped uh, heal anything this evening? Well, it all? certainly helped my voice, uh-huh. I think. Uh, yeah, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big single malt, uh, single malt uh, guy. That's Scotch what guy. I. I'm, I'm not. Your preference? I'm, I'm not a huge drinker. Um, I like to, you know, I like so it to top, top off an evening <laughs> or something. But single malt, yeah. My aunt, my aunt um, got me into single malt when she bought me a bottle of Glenfiddich. She was reading. Also she was good. reading all these British um, spy novels and stuff. These whodunits, as she called them, and they all drank Glenfiddich. So she thought I should have a bottle. Of the Glenfiddich is good. Uh, the McAllen's Twelve is good. This is actually a, uh, a Christmas gift from my daughter. Ah, my daughter who said you have way too much bourbon in the house. I thought I'd get you some scotch, and she's right. You know, I, I could always use more scotch. So it's the twelve-year-old. It runs about uh, for those of you who like a single malt and looking for something under fifty bucks a bottle. It runs between forty-two and forty-five dollars a bottle. And as far as the nose, uh, you can't smell anything because you got a cold. What do you, you pick up anything there, Producer Hansberry? Uh, nope. Goes down no, smooth, baby. You know, man, eventually, over the course of these podcasts, you're going to start picking up, you're going to get a nose for the whiskey and a taste and an appreciation for the finish. I will say I had some, uh, just like some well whiskey over the weekend that I about spit out everywhere. There so at least I'm so, gaining so, the appreciation yes. of nice stuff. Uh, you'll yeah. For those of you who try the McAllen, you might pick up a little toffee and vanilla. It's a little smoky, but it's very smooth. It's got a nice little finish at the end, uh, and a little bit of spice in there too. So it's got a little bit of everything. It's matured in sherry oak casks. So uh, you can't go wrong as far as a as a good Highland single malt Scotch whiskey. That's what I mean. That's the Scotch in general that. The oakiness. I mean, mm-hmm. you get more of that than definitely the bourbons. Oh, there's, uh, there's some scotches mm-hmm. that are far woodier right. and smokier Woody. than others. So, Well, your daughter has exquisite taste. Uh, she uh, did all right. You know I, what? She did okay. I mean, she she uh, she bartends and runs a bar in, in New York City, so she's so she's learned. I, I don't know if I've ever shared your the story that I always think about with your daughter, but my we're doing your <laughs> wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, well, let, let me let me continue quickly. Setup sucks so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you're the comedian. Um, but um, no, we were doing your Christmas show, and my daughters were probably three, four years old, and they 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 came out to the show, and I just I just love that when they're to be in their little holiday dresses coming out there. And your daughter came out and sang Santa Baby. Yes, she did. And and you you were sitting there with your mouth open, and I'll never forget that she gets done and said, you're coming home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right now. She did the whole sexy Madonna version yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. She, thought, she nailed it. It was great. Oh, but, uh, it, was <laughs> a fail. it was fabulous. And, and, yeah. and I'm watching, you know, and I'm going, yeah. oh, man, this is what I have to look forward to. Worst Christmas ever. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the car keys. <laughs> All right. As we, uh, as we depart, we got a little bit. Now, like I said, you write a lot of serious music, some deep music, and some fun music. Greg, what do we got on tap here that we're going to kind of uh, go out with here and talk over a little bit? What's it, what's it called again, Eric? It's called Let's Do It. Let's Do It, and it's about writing a song, but I also listened to it to, you know, tonight, right? and it, it also felt like it kind of applied to this. A piano and a bottle or two. Okay, one a bottle. A little fire to get in the mood. 
Amen, brother. I've been dreaming forever of getting together and making some magic with you. Oh, Eric, thank you. It's so sweet. Well, we don't know <laughs> each other that well. Yes, we do. But the chemistry might really gel. The kids and the wife are gone overnight. We'll have the whole place to ourselves. We do, we do. So why don't you just come over? Before our chance is gone, we'll get on a roll and bare our souls. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's write a song. In a way, it's kind of been like a song. We've bared our souls. I've been nervous at first about touching your chorus or verse. I don't have some obsession with reaching perfection, but a good tweak here and there never hurts. No worries, no worries. We'll no come worries. up with a smooth melody. Yeah. Then create sweet harmony. You be my guest, grab the part you like best, cause the bottom or top works for me. <laughs> so why don't you just come over? Thank you for coming We've over. We've already <laughs> waited too long. Fast or slow, three minutes or so. Let's do it. Let's write a song. We might both regret it in the end. Nah. Or might turn around and do it again. Hey, time you want, Or pal. if you have someone else in mind. A three-way would be just fine. <laughs> Not that kind of podcast. Just come over. We'll go at it all night long. I've got a groove that won't quit. You've got a big pair of hits. Let's get down to it. Let's make music. Let's write a song. Oh, that's beautiful. I think yes. we kind of did. Uh, folks, my guest has been Eric Nesda. Songs at the Center coming up. And I got to say a couple things before we go. Whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production uh, recorded in cooperation with the Columbus Radio Group. All the thoughts and opinions shared this evening are mine and of my reluctant guest. And they are only meant to inform, entertain, and hopefully never offend. Until the next bottle, my friends, this is Dino Tripoda saying good night and God bless. Bless. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.